You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's uh, get our Bibles out this morning and uh, turn to John chapter 10. Uh, John chapter 10, we're taking a look at a message this morning entitled, One Shepherd, One Flock. Right in the middle of uh, John 10 in verse 16, it says this, there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. Uh, we're into this uh, Jesus, Who Do You Think You Are series, and that, all that coming right out of um, John chapter 8, and the Pharisees are challenging him, the Jewish leaders, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And then they say, are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus, who do you think you are? And uh, we're taking some time to answer that question in this series by looking at the things where Christ says, I am, I am. And virtually every time we've seen it so far, when he uses that term, he causes a big ruckus. He causes a great stir because they understood he wasn't just saying I'm your next door neighbor they understood he was saying far more than that we uh, looked uh, last week back into Exodus chapter 3 where uh, Moses is being called by God and he says uh, who should I say sent me and um, and God says you tell them I am sent you and so every time Jesus is using this term, I am, they understand he's claiming something very, very significant. And uh, it gets worse and worse and worse for him. Uh, they get to the place where they eventually will kill him uh, because of who he said he was. We've seen the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. And then we saw the reality that I am the light of the world. And today we're going to take a look at two I am's. They're both found in chapter 10. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. So do we really believe those things? When we hear those things, do we really believe God is who he says he is? Do we really believe God is in charge? of uh, what's going on in our lives. And he's gonna go with us. He's gonna help us on the journey to, do we really believe God is the bread of life? Do we really believe that God is the light of the world? Do we really believe God is the door to the sheepfold we're gonna see today? Do we really believe that God is the good shepherd? Yesterday at about noon, uh, our phones started to light up on Facebook with a tragedy that happened in the lives of uh, one of our Harvest Bible chapels in the family of, uh, of one of our senior pastors. Um, the Tanks, um, Becky um, and John Tank, John's the senior pastor at Clear Lake Bible Chapel in um, Iowa. Uh, yesterday morning, their 15 or 16-year-old son uh, took his own life. A tragedy. Sad, sad day for them. How do you get through that? How do you live through that? How do you move forward in that? See, it's easy for us to say all these I am's and who Jesus is and how he will work and when things are going well. But when a tragedy like that happens, you have to choose to lean in. You have to choose to trust. You come back to who God really is and what you really believe about him. And the John and Becky Tank are wrestling through the reality that their son Daniel is gone. And um, they're trying to wrestle that through with their other two kids, Jonathan and Natalie, who were older siblings to, to Daniel. And 
It doesn't change the reality of who God is. It doesn't change his faithfulness. It doesn't change his, his goodness. It doesn't change the fact that he is the bread and he is the light and he is the door and he is the shepherd. But it's hard. It's hard. And uh, what I want us to do this morning is stop because sometimes there are more important things and I want us to pray for them. I want us to pray for John and Becky. I want you to pray for Jonathan and Natalie. I want you to pray for their church. They'll be meeting probably in about one hour from now because they're in a different time zone than we are. And um, Rob Willie, who preached here this sum- summer, you remember, um, he's gone there to preach uh, this week, this weekend. And, and uh, we want to call out to God and ask for his comfort and his strength and his help with uh, this family. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to where you are in the twos or threes, just get together. And I want one person in each group to pray. Um, but I want you to pray for John and Becky Tank and for their kids, Jonathan and Natalie. And I want you to pray for their church that through this, God would be exalted. He would be glorified. People's lives will be changed. And we will understand one day all of this. Uh, We don't understand it today, but Lord, we choose. We choose to trust you. So just find a couple of people right around where you are and just one person, just one person, let's pray for them. And uh, then we'll move back into our message. But this is more important right now. Is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I'll lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Well, I want to take a look at um, two more pictures the Lord Jesus claims, two more things he states about himself, two more things that cause a ruckus, and uh, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. They're both found in uh, John chapter 10. So I trust you've got your Bibles open there. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word and uh, hear about these things. Um, John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, for they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them because they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. 
The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and they might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus, excuse me, just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, but I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This change, this charge, I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage. And there is so much here for us to look at. And we just have a few moments left this morning. I pray, God, that you would uh, give us ears to hear your word. Minds, God, that we would comprehend and understand. And then, God, would you give us hearts to passionately live out because of what we hear today from your word. Would you do in us what only you can do? The person who's in the room who comes to grips with Jesus is the door, that Jesus is the good shepherd, the person who's never trusted you, that Lord, today they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But Lord, all of us, we are so blessed because of our relationship with him and the reality of the protection and the care and the love of God that you demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ. Teach us from your word, encourage our hearts, strengthen us, Lord, to walk for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you can take your seats. We need to dive right in. And uh, as you know, around here, we're all about context, context, context. And so why does, um, why does chapter 10 even exist? Why did Jesus go off on this at this point? And that comes right out of uh, chapter 9. Well, how do you know? How do you know that chapter 9 is the reason for chapter 10? I know it by the very last thing we read. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's exactly what chapter 9 was all about. And so beginning of chapter 9 it says, As he passed by, um, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that, God, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so they're walking along, and, and there's this blind fellow that's there, and, and uh, they believe, they used to believe, that if you had a, a problem, if you were blind, if you had a disease or whatever, it was because of sin, um, that sometimes is true, but it's not always true. It wasn't true here. Uh, Jesus said the reason he was born blind is so that God would get the glory. And uh, Jesus goes ahead and he heals him. Uh, the man is healed. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are now pretty ticked off about this. You would think they would be rejoicing in that a person who was blind can now see, but they're not. They're upset. And like, who is this guy going around doing this? Who do you think you are? 
And, uh, and so they uh, call the guy's uh, parents to come, and is this really true? Is this really what happened? And they said, yes, it is, but um, they were afraid of the religious leaders as well. So they said, you ask him. He's old enough to give a testimony of his own. And, um, and so he comes before them, and he testifies to what has happened, how Jesus has healed him, how he now sees. And uh, so what do they do? They kick him out of the synagogue. They kick him out. God's done a work, he can now see, and they turf him out. Um, really? Yeah, really. Um, verse 35 of chapter 9, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not uh, see me may see, and those who see me may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Uh, Jesus says, Guilty. Guilty. And then he goes into chapter 10. And in chapter 10 is really focused at these who are, who've thrown this man out of the synagogue, who've set him aside, won't have anything to do with him. And Jesus is about to do some correcting. He's about to lay it out for them so they can understand. And in it, there's so much for us to grab hold of. And so the first thing we want to see is in verses 1 to 6. And I've just called this information overload. Information overload. If you look that up in your dictionary, it says a very large amount of information supplied all at once, especially as background information in a narrative. That's what we would call information overload today. So what did the word literally mean when it says in verse 6? Because that's where we get it from. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. There was information overload. He just dumps five verses on them and their heads are spinning about to explode. They don't get it. That, that word figure of speech literally means a mysterious saying full of compressed thought. A mysterious saying filled with compressed thought. Now, for me, it's kind of like listening to a Ravi Zacharias when he preaches, right? He's on, he's on, he's on, and if you blink, you're lost. And it's like, okay, I got to get back on. How do I get back on? Like, it's kind of like that, only in the negative. Uh, Jesus is going to put some things out for these guys because they need a tuning, and he's going to give them a tuning. And uh, it comes in those uh, first words. He starts out by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, whenever you see that in the book of John, uh, Jesus is about to say something. He's speaking with authority. He does it more than one time in this passage. He says, truly, truly, I speak to you. He's re remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the religious leaders. They're the ones, he's just talked about them being blind and them being guilty. And so he just pours this thing on them. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And they're trying to figure out what in the world does that mean? Then he goes on in verse 2. Remember who he's talking to. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And now Jesus is talking about himself. And he talks about how people come in the right way. And we can look at it how people come into ministry the right way. Um, 
And again, they're just, their heads are like, what, what? All this he just said, he just, he just told us that, that we're blind and we're, we're, well, we say we're not blind, but we're guilty. And uh, then he comes down into verse 3. And he says in verse 3, he says, To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them, he leads them out. The picture of the gatekeeper is a picture of one where the sheep at night, different shepherds would bring their flocks in and they would bring them into one fold. And overnight, usually in the town or in the village, there would be one guy who was paid to be the gatekeeper. And uh, no one could go in, no one could go out except for the shepherds who owned the sheep. And, uh, and so he's, again, laying out for them, for them to understand that uh, they're in a wrong place and they aren't doing this correctly and only the shepherd can really go in. Um, verses 4 and 5 say, um, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so the shepherd would come in the morning and he would call his sheep and they would know his voice and they would come out and they would follow him. And so Jesus kind of puts all of this, just dumps all of this on them and their heads are spinning and that's where we get to verse six and it says that they just didn't get it. They didn't understand this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he is saying to them. And so now we go on into verses seven to 18 and really Jesus says, let me explain. Let me explain. Let me give you, break it down for you so that you can understand what I'm really trying to say to you. The first thing he says is, I am the door. I am the door. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, okay? Emphasis, I'm saying something with authority. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So I am the door. I got a couple pictures I want you to see up on the screen of, of what this might look like. Um, so the, the sheep would be in the pen and the shepherd would sleep in the doorway. Um, that way the sheep couldn't get out and no one else could get in. They would be protected. That's a, an animation. Take a look at a real one of what it might look like. And uh, there you got the shepherd in the door and the sheep are all there and they're not going anywhere. So when Jesus says, I am the door, that was significant to them. Uh, they got it. They understood what he was saying. It spoke of authority. It spoke of care. It spoke of love. It spoke of protection. It, it spoke of so many things for them. Verses 7 and 8, I believe Jesus is saying to all those who hear him, it's time to wake up. You need to, you need to wake up. Jesus again said, truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. All who come are thieves. The word thief speaks of deceit and trickery. And the word robbers thinks of violence and destruction. And so Jesus is saying, if you're not from the door, if you're not, when Jesus says, I am the door, if you've not come in by the door, the other people who are out there, what they're trying to do is trick you. Um, false religion, uh, false faith, the cults. All of that is all encompassed in this. And, and Jesus says, that's what's going on there. And you need to know, I am. You need to know, I am. I am the door. There's not a lot of doors. There's only one door to the true sheepfold. There's only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am the door. And he's telling them, now you need to wake up. The people who are listening to the religious leaders who are hearing this, wake up. 
The next thing we see in verse 9 is willingly come. Uh, look what verse 9 says. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Willingly come. Um, Jesus is saying, I am the door. But anyone who willingly comes, he will come in, and he will be saved, and he will find green pastures. Remember when we studied in uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In verse 1, when we talked about that, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the door. We talked about that. There's one shepherd. There's one way. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't want any other shepherd. We don't want any other shepherd. And we don't want what any other shepherd offers to us. And yet we get caught up in that in our lives all of the time, toying around. Maybe not so much with another shepherd, not, not at the foundation of our faith, but in the things we go after. And in essence, we put something else on the throne. No, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want any other shepherd. I don't want any other shepherd offers me. And, and Jesus pictures himself here as the shepherd who sits in the gate. But when we willingly come, when we willingly come, that we will be saved. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wake up. Watch for the thieves. Watch for the robbers. Willingly come. Here's the next thing. There's a warning. Another watch out here in, in verse 10, of the first part. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. A follower of Jesus Christ, what is coming into your life? What are you listening to? What is influencing you that has come to kill and destroy what God is doing in your life? We need to watch out. We need to be aware. We need to be so careful. Um, watch out for false teachers. And false teachers might not be standing at your door with a track. They might be a person you're listening to on the radio or watching on television and they're pulling you. They're pulling you away from the things that you know God's word says. Um, he gives them a warning to watch out. But then in verse 10, the second part, we see the wonder of his work. Look what it says. Um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then Jesus says this. I came. I came. That they might have life. And they might have it abundantly. And Jesus says, I have come so you can have life. You can have eternal life. You come by faith to Jesus Christ and you have life and you have it abundantly. Not just a miserly little bit that you're trying to grab at all of the time, but in abundance. The, the word abundance is actually a mathematical term. It denotes a surplus. Um, and that's what he talks about. It's not something you're trying to get just a little bit more of Jesus every day. Uh, Jesus says, I came to give you life and I give it to you extravagantly. I give you everything you need. I give you more. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. That's the abundant source. According to his riches in glory, which is in Christ Jesus. I've come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. 
See, Jesus' call to his followers is not to a boring life. It's not to a life of, oh, maybe I can get through it, or maybe I'll get just enough, and I sure hope heaven's a way better than this. Well, I sure hope heaven's way better than this, but on this side, God promises us abundant life. I uh, think of the people who are in the room, and, and the video we saw, you, you heard the story of Kirk and his travel and all the rest, and um, there's a guy who's enjoying the abundant life he has in Jesus Christ. He's working like a madman. He's serving the Lord. He's committed to uh, getting out there and doing everything he can for the kingdom. And he's not complaining about the hardships. He's not because he sees the abundance of what uh, God has done. Uh, Bill Foss, who sits in the front row, he's in a hard place in Portland. That's not an easy place. There's no easy places, but that's not an easy place. And uh, he works three or four days a week framing houses, doing construction, so he can be the senior pastor in that church and loving the abundance of God in his life. And Sam in Romania, faithfully serving in a difficult place, a church that has struggled but is now growing and a passion for evangelism. Why? Because we don't, we don't serve for the, oh, woe is me, life is hard. No, no, the abundance of what God is doing, his faithfulness to us. And sometimes we get lulled to sleep in Markham, Ontario because of all that we have just handed to us so often. And, and Jesus says, um, I've come to give you life. I've come to give it to you abundantly. Abundant life isn't especially long life necessarily. It is, abundant life isn't an easy life or a comfortable life necessarily. But abundant life is a life filled with satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And does that, is that your life? Are you satisfied? Are you content? We live better than 95% of the world. And yet the dissatisfaction and the lack of contentment in Christians in North America is somewhat overwhelming. Guilty, guilty, I just want a little bit more. I just want a little bit more. And what Jesus says, I'm the door. And I offer you a life that's filled to full, abundantly. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him, to Jesus, now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen Jesus starts out as he clarifies for the religious leader and clarifies for us what he was saying in those first verses he says I am the door here's the second thing he says I am the good shepherd I am the good shepherd. Again, there's an exclusivity here he's talking about when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Saying there are no other good shepherds, only one good shepherd, and the good shepherd is Jesus Christ. Look at uh, verses 11 to 13. Here's what it says. Um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and he scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Uh, Christ says, I am the good shepherd. What a remarkable thing that a, a shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep. He gives the illustration then. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then he talks about other ways their business was done. And one of them was hiring people to take care of the sheep. The hireling, when the wolf comes or the bear 
or the lion in David's story. Uh, like, we're out of here. I'm not risking my life. This is just a job. Um, I don't care. And, uh, but that's not the way Jesus is with us. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, dumb sheep walking around, getting in trouble, drinking from muddy puddles, we learn in Psalm 23, always wandering, always struggling, and, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. He laid down his life for the sheep. And when I go wandering off and do some crazy thing, the good shepherd's there to restore and bring me back to a place of relationship. Why? Because he's the shepherd. He's not some hireling that only sees it as a job. Uh, There's an investment in him. He owns the sheep. They are his. And what a great picture it is of our salvation and what God has done for us. The good shepherd laid down his life for me. He laid down his life for you. Laid it down so that we could be saved. He lays it down so that we can be be kept. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Romans 5, 7, and 9, it says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? The good shepherd laid down his life. He was the right and righteous and the only sufficient payment for my sin. All the other shepherds that are out there, all the other cannot save us. Only Jesus Christ. And we come by simple faith to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We struggle with that because in our society we want to earn stuff. We want to do stuff. And I get stuff because I worked for it. And guess what? Your salvation, you can't earn it. And you don't deserve it. The good shepherd laid down his life for you. When you didn't even want him, when you didn't even care about him, uh, he did that so you could have life and you could have abundant life. He shed his blood so yours didn't have to be shed. And it would have never covered your sin. You would have still been separated from God. But the perfect lamb of God came. The perfect lamb was sacrificed. And Jesus Christ laid down his life so that I could have life. Simple faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what Jesus did and you will be saved. You will be saved. And why is that so hard for us? Because of our pride. Because, well, I'm not that bad. I, I try hard. I work hard. God, I'm going to get to heaven. God's going to say I'm okay. No, he's not. He's, gonna, he's not going to say you're okay. What he's going to say is I didn't even know you. And you'll be separated from God in a place called hell for eternity because you rejected the work of Jesus Christ, the only right and righteous and sufficient payment for your sin. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, Today is the day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, God's word says. You'll be saved. It'll change you. Some people are afraid to trust Christ because, well, if I trust Christ, I'm gonna have to stop doing this. I'm gonna have to stop doing this. I'm gonna have to stop doing this. I'll tell you this. You trust Jesus Christ. Let him deal with those things in your life. If there's stuff that needs to go, when you trust Jesus Christ, when you grow up in him, anything that needs to go, you will willingly get rid of. You won't care about anymore. You're looking at it on the wrong side right now. You're like, well, if I do this, I'm gonna have to stop this. I might not be able to do this. I'm telling you right now, you won't care about those things if the Lord wants you to surrender them. They'll be gone and you won't even care. 
You won't even care because you'll see that God has an abundant life for you that's so much greater, so much more. Look at our relationship uh, with the shepherd in verse uh, 14. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I know my own and my own know me. So do you know the shepherd today? Does he know you today? There's salvation in none other than in Jesus Christ, the Lord. Other sheep that are not of this fold. He goes into the next part in verse 15. He talks about the father's relationship with the shepherd. Now look at verse 15. He says, just as the father knows me, I know the father. That's cool. Uh, not only does Jesus know us and we know him, now Jesus says, um, I know the Father and the Father knows me. The work of the cross, the work of the good shepherd was, re- was, was rooted in his close relationship with, with his Father. And then in verse 16, because so far he's talking to the Jews and he's talking to the religious leaders of the day. And the cool thing about verse 16 is now all of us now get brought into uh, this text. It says... Um, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus is now saying the gospel is going out beyond just to the Jews. It's not just for these people. There's others, the Gentiles, us. And the gospel is going to us, and we will have the good news of Jesus Christ. And just as they will be saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, that's what's offered to us. There is is one shepherd. There is one flock. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus talks about his authority. How can I say all these things? How can all of this be true? Now you have to, again, you have to put yourself in the text and imagine the Pharisees as they're all hearing this, if they weren't ticked off before the chapter started and they weren't ticked off by that overload he gives them at the beginning and now Jesus is saying, I am the door. There's no other door and they're getting it, what he's saying. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. Um, all the, like the, these guys are about ready to just explode and then Jesus comes down and, and he says about his authority in verses 17 and 18, he says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He says, I have authority to lay it it down. I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. And Jesus is now speaking and, and having them to begin to understand what will become true when they see and understand the death and burial and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have the authority, he says. I have the authority. I can lay down my life and I will take my life back. See, you could, you could lay down your life for somebody. You might even do that. But all that will do is mean you're dead. You might have protected them for something, but you won't have taken care of them for eternity. Jesus says, I can lay down my life and I take my life back up because I will be, I will be risen from the dead as the proof, as the receipt that I was who I said I was, that I did what I said I would do. When an ordinary man dies, Charles Spurgeon said this, when an ordinary man dies, he only pays the debt of nature. If we were even to die for his friend, he would simply pay a little earlier that debt which he must pay ultimately. But Christ, 
but Christ was immortal and he needed not die except that he had put himself under covenant bonds to suffer for his sheep. I can lay down my life and I will take it up again. Well, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Somebody said to me after the service, um, sometimes people come, they give you good stuff you could actually put in your sermon. This one was really good, I thought. He said, that you that's up there, why don't you make it E-W-E? Since we're sheep, who do you think you are? You can take that or leave it for what you want. I thought it was kind of cool, so I mentioned it to you. I won't tell you uh, who gave it to me in case you don't like it. But um, (laughs) the truth that Jesus was the door and the good shepherd it brings them to the place of hatred toward him. Um, there was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. So is Jesus who he says he is or isn't he? And that's the question we have to answer. Uh, either Jesus is a, a liar, a lunatic, or Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and he is the Lord, and he is the king, and obviously that's what we believe. He was the one who said, I can take down my life, and I can take it up. No one else can do that. And so you go to 1 Corinthians 15, and you see all of the proofs that Jesus did exactly what he said he could do. You hear about all those people who saw him risen from the dead, 500 plus people, some of them, as Paul was writing Corinthians, who are still alive. You could actually go and talk to them. You mean you saw Jesus? You saw him? Why? Because Jesus was exactly what he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was exactly who he said he was. He was the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was made that was not made by him because Jesus Christ was everything and he said he was. The words of Jesus were not the words of a madman. Instead, they are the words of someone who is supremely sane. The deeds of Jesus were not the deeds of a madman. Instead, they were utterly unselfish. The impact of Jesus wasn't the effect of a madman. Instead, it changed the lives of millions. It's changed me. It's changed most of the people in this room because Jesus was who he said he was. So I am not the door to the sheepfold. I am not the good shepherd. I am a shepherd. I hope I do it in a good way. But I'm not the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And Jesus Christ is the door. So who do you think you are? We're not the answer to the world's problems. But we are the ones that God uses to bring the answer to people. God takes us and he uses us in our testimony, in our faithfulness, whether it's in your family or whether it's in your church or or whether it's in your neighborhood or whether it's in your workplace. God calls us to understand who Jesus said he was. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And he's given us all of this great news in answering who Jesus is so that we can take it to a world that has no hope And allow God to work to bring people through the door when they understand the good shepherd has laid down his life for his sheep. A faithful pastor and servants in his church will, as under-shepherds, display the same characteristics of a good shepherd because we're called to be examples and models that others might come to know the good shepherd.
the good shepherd. And so what difference will being in church today make for you? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. If you've never trusted Christ, trust him today. He is the one who gives life and gives it abundantly. And hey, church, think about who Jesus is. And think about what he's done. And are we sold out? Are we living the abundant life? Because of all that he's done, all that he's accomplished, we need to be people of God living out for the fame of his name, for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the example it is to us. Lord, when we are in tough seasons, when it's tough just in faithfulness and working hard, and, and then I think, Lord, of these folks, this family we've prayed for, uh, the tanks, and what they're going through seems insurmountable to us, but you are the same. You are faithful. You're not going to leave them. You're not going to forsake them. You're going to help them. You're going to be their strength. You're going to be their encouragement. And Lord, help us to realize that um, because of the door, we are secure in Jesus Christ. And because of the good shepherd, we even have the opportunity for salvation. Give us passionate eyes and lives to live out, God, for your fame and your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.